the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You might have read the story. If you haven't, you will soon. There may very well be a new ballot measure, a proposition this November that will split in half the property tax rolls in the state of California, essentially wiping out significant portions of Proposition 13 and increasing property taxes across the state by some $11 billion, that's B, billion dollars per year. Much of this being supported by the unions, California Teachers Association et al., much of it being argued is necessary in order to improve education in California. But as my next guest, I think, will assert, you can throw all the money at education you want, but if you don't have a teaching environment that is scripturally consistent and also encourages and highlights and instills both spiritual and moral values in that environment, then essentially you're fighting an uphill battle. Joining me is Derek Leonard. He is admissions coordinator at El Sobrante Christian School. Derek, great to have you with us today. And has that been your experience in, in your years, not only as a admissions coordinator, but also as a teacher? You're working in the classroom. You deal with students on a day-to-day basis. Does the spiritual, moral environment in which students are taught have that significant of a difference on the outcomes in terms of not only test performances, but ultimately uh, whether they go on to a two- or four-year colleges or universities? Greg, I couldn't agree more. I grew up going to public schools from grades three through college, and I would have given anything, or I would give anything, I think, if I could go back in time and go to a Christian school. Uh, I don't think I don't know if they existed when I was in elementary school, but uh, certainly... A college would have made a huge difference in my life, but I, I, um, I cannot emphasize the difference between a Christian environment, and Christian schools are by no means perfect, but a Christian environment at a Christian school and an elementary uh, public school or junior high or middle school, I have been at both, I have taught at both, and the, and the invisible spiritual environment is tangible. You can feel it in the air. There's just a level of respect, a level of uh, sobriety, respect for learning um, that is frequently missing in a lot of our public schools. I just see kids who um, are, a lot of them are lost and confused. Their families are broken, and they find a nurturing environment where there's adults who love them and know their names. They don't get lost at our school. We have a small student-to-teacher ratio roughly about 15 uh, students per teacher. And it's a very different environment. We know the kids do not fall through the cracks at El Sabrani Christian. Uh, we 
care about them. We follow through. If there's any issues, we're in contact with the parents. And I just see uh, the power of the gospel transforming these lives. Some of them are Christian who come in. Some of them are not. Some of them have a church background. Some do not. But they have a daily Bible class. They have weekly chapels. Uh, They hear from uh, speakers who are from various churches in the area and parachurch ministries, and they hear from staff members, and these these kids are transformed over time. The power of the gospel and the, the love of Jesus um, is huge when it comes to the educational environment. One of the challenges we frequently hear cited in public education arena is the challenge of having adequate space, adequate teachers. Oftentimes there's almost an assembly line approach to education, meaning that they pick out a methodology, a teacher recites information from the chalkboard at the front of the room, the child is expected to take copious notes, read the book, learn the material, take a test, and on to the next one. But I think what you're suggesting is that while that methodology may work for some, not every person, not every student learns the same way. Do you see a significant difference at El Sobrante Christian School that provides from uh, elementary all the way through senior high school, so 1 through 12, do you see a significant difference in the intimate approach, in the lower student ratios? Does that allow you to essentially not teach to the subject, but rather teach to the student in a way that allows children to learn in the method or, or manner in which they are most suited to? It definitely does, Craig. We're able to differentiate learning much more easily uh, with those size class classrooms. We know the the background of the students. We, uh, if they're if they have special needs, we are able to accommodate them frequently. Um, and I, and there's just a respect for learning overall that is sometimes absent in uh, some of the public schools I have observed and taught in. And talk to us a bit about some of the special programs and things that are unique about the caliber and quality of education at El Sobrante Christian. Well, Craig, yes, we, we are a K-12 school. We have two campuses. We have a K-6 through and then a few blocks away, about a 10-minute walk. We have our 7th through 12th grade campus, and on that campus is our gym. So we have a uh, full array of sports. We are an NCAA school. Uh, we have elementary, junior high, and high school sports. So we have um, a very well-attended sports camp during the summer. We have futsal during the school year. Um, we have uh, band at the elementary and the junior high and high school levels. Kids can learn how to play instruments, and the band uh, takes various uh, trips to to perform. Uh, some of the things we have at the high school level, I mentioned that our courses are UC-aligned, and uh, we have uh, college field trips during the year. We have a college information night in the fall. We have a career day in January, where people from various professions come and talk to our kids. Uh, we have a Jeunesse Park uh, for the high schoolers in Mount Hermon for the 6th through 8th graders spiritual retreats in September. Uh, we have a snow day in the winter where we take kids to Soda Springs and they can snowboard, ski, or tube. Uh, we also have the uh, Washington, D.C., New York City 8th grade trip in the spring. And uh, we have, uh, like I mentioned, chapels every every week at the uh, junior high and high school level. We have student-led chapel worship. And um, I have been at El Sobrani Christian since 
2012, and I love being there. I've seen lives transformed, and I've seen families transformed as a result of what goes on at our school. If parents want to get more information, perhaps come to the school, take a tour, get more details, what's the best way to reach you? Well, uh, the 7th through 12th grade campus, the phone number is 510-223-1966, The elementary campus, K-6, is 510-223-2242. So that would be a great way. We love, uh, yes, we're happy to give tours. We're happy to show uh, parents, prospective parents, the school. We are on off of Appian Way on Highway 80 in uh, El Sobrani around Pernol, Hercules area. And again, let me share those telephone numbers for the elementary school. You can call area code 510-223-2242. That's 510-223-2242. And for the junior and senior high school campuses, 510-223-1966. 510-223-1966. Information also available on the web at escseagles.com. I'll mention, too, that El Sobrante Christian School is participating in the KFAX back-to-school half-off tuition program. If you'd like to get more information about that, learn how you can send your student to school at exactly half-off, go online to kfax.com and simply click on the half-off tuition banner at the top of the homepage. That's kfax.com. Our thanks to Derek Leonard, admissions coordinator at El Sobrante Christian School. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It probably could be successfully argued by the casual observers, historians, those in the know from an economic standpoint, that while of all other systems, capitalism may not be exactly perfect, um, it has served those countries that have embraced it very well. And it's interesting to know that some of the most successful nations economically and in terms of freedoms and liberties have had one thing in common. They have all almost universally been capitalist countries. And as I notate, uh, you know, given the fact that human beings are involved in it, it perhaps has its flaws. And yet it is probably far fewer in flaws than most other systems out there if you try to compare it to uh, pure socialism or communism or fascism or other uh, forms of of, of government and, and forms of economics. And yet, ironically enough, and as well as capitalism certainly has served the West in general and the United States in specific, there are a number of people within our government and those who seek to become part of our government that say, no, 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 we're, we're not happy with free trade and uh, pure forms of capitalism. We want to somehow reinvent the wheel here. We're going to hamstring capitalism because we think that somehow it benefits certain people more so than others. And of course, the frightening thing is the potential loss of freedom at multiple levels. Were they to get their way is frightening. Um, if it wasn't for the surprise of the degree of ignorance that there is on this topic. We're going to shed some light now. A couple of cases that I think um, will help demonstrate to your own mind's eye why tinkering at these levels can be so dangerous. And as we're joined by syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek, Bob's program, the Bob Zadek program, can be heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m. The Answer. And as always, Robert, great to have you on the program. 
And great to be a guest again. Thank you for inviting me. Let's talk about this issue of, of capitalism, and I know it's one that is dear to your heart from a, um, a, a libertarian perspective. Uh, there's a story, and I know that you've been talking about this on your own program, where New York City is not content with allowing sort of the free market to do its thing, but rather deciding that they're going to come in, they're going to put the brakes on ride-sharing services, they think that somehow coming in and putting more restrictions and more limitations is somehow going to improve traffic and economics and parity in the city of New York. What's wrong with the approach, in your opinion, Bob, that New York City is taking to uh, rideshare programs like Uber and Lyft? Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with it, Craig? There's not enough time in the history, in the, in the perspective history of the planet to explain all that's wrong with it. One, if I may, uh, I'm happy to answer your question. One minor correction. You said capitalism is very dear to my heart. You have the wrong organ. Capitalism is dear to my mind because I understand and I know that capitalism not only has made life, uh, improved life profoundly, as you said, in the United States and in the West, but you actually sold capitalism short. It has made life far better on Earth because even those countries that don't directly operate in a capitalist or free market system, they get the benefit by enjoying the fruits of capitalism, such as the cell phone and clean water and no more malaria and things of that nature. So Earth has benefited from capitalism, not just the countries that practice it. Okay, now down to Uber and Lyft. And I'm going to start discussing New York City, Uber and Lyft by telling you uh, the story of the government of New York City and its classic perennial traffic problem. There was a mayor, and Craig, you're too young to remember if you didn't indeed know. There was a one-term mayor in New York City in the 50s whose name was Vincent Impolitari. A total know-nothing, did-nothing, just-took-up-space kind of mayor. But he was determined to solve New York City's traffic problem. And this guy, who was a little bit short in intellect, he concluded, after giving it probably a second of thought, that the problem with the traffic in New York City was the taxi cabs. Specifically, he said, the taxi cabs are too big, and each taxi cab takes up too much space. We had, those days, checker cabs. Big, roomy cabs, very comfortable. You could get into them standing up. They had uh, drop-down seats. They were wonderful cars. But he decided they'd take up too much space on the road. So he caused the Taxi and Limousine Commission to enact a statute that made it illegal to have a checkered taxi cab. And all of a sudden, before you knew it, taxi cabs were all Pintos and Valiants and all these Corvairs and all these tiny cars, which were cramped and crowded and uncomfortable and unsafe. And Mayor Impolitari thought, okay, they're smaller cars, take up less space, traffic problem solved. Of course, that was nonsense. Traffic problem wasn't solved. But that gives you an introduction to how well New York City thinks about and solves its traffic problems. Now about Uber and Lyft. New York City, first of all, New York City is under the sway of the very powerful uh, taxi industry, the medallion industry, 
And the way the taxi cab industry in New York City is structured is kind of weird. In 1938, there, in order to drive a taxi cab, you have to have a medallion. It's a little piece of tin that gets attached to the hood of the car. You can't drive a cab without a medallion, a license from the city. Now, New York City sold those medallions in 1938 for $250 each, and they sold 13,300 medallions, and then they said, we're done. And that was it. Now, flash forward to 2018, how many medallions are there? The same number, 13,300 medallions. Of course, we need many more cabs than that, so therefore, a medallion became very valuable. And the price of a medallion at the high was like a million four. In other words, in order for permission to drive a taxi cab, you had to spend three times what it cost to buy a house. Now, but there still weren't enough cabs because they were limited to 13,300. Along comes Uber and Lyft, unlimited number of taxi cabs, willing to pick people up, available by an app. You don't have to wait. You don't have to stand in the rain. You never wait more than two minutes. And Uber upset the cartel of the taxicab government-created monopoly. Now a taxicab medallion is no longer worth a million three. It's worth $200,000 if you can find a buyer. Taxicab industry wiped out, or it became merely a, a footnote in history, and everybody takes an Uber. New York City decided too many Ubers in the, in the city. It's, it's the cause of the traffic problem. Again, Vincent DePolitari ruling from the grave. Too many taxi cabs, that's the source of the problem. So New York City just enacted legislation to put a cap on the number of Uber drivers by the end of this year. And also to require that Uber drivers be paid a minimum wage. The theory is that will make the cost of an Uber to go way up, so people will find it cheaper to take a taxi cab and they save the taxi cab industry. In other words, let's solve the transportation problem, because New Yorkers can't get around, by making it even harder for New York people to get around. That's the way you solve the problem. Let's make it really hard by limiting the number of Uber drivers. That's New York City. That's capitalism in reverse. Top-down management, instead of letting the marketplace dictate how many Uber drivers there will be, based upon how many are, are available to serve our needs, the city rejects the marketplace and says, we know best. That's what New York City is doing to uh, this fascist city sitting in New York State. You know, it almost seems to be uh, protectionism here, in a sense. I mean, let's, let's turn back the clock 30 years. Prior to the advent of desktop, high-quality desktop printers, uh, color photocopy machines, things of this sort, if you wanted to uh, print off handbills or flyers, things of this sort, um, you went down to the local print shop, you paid a price, there was a typesetter there, they did, uh, you know, lithograph or offset printing, whatever the methodology might be, they charged you X number of dollars, and you walked out with your fistful of, of flyers or business cards or whatever it might be. Today, of course, uh, we have this neat little invention called the desktop printer that allows us to print things right there. We can use software attached to our computer that allows us to get involved in graphic design as wonderful and creative as the most experienced typesetter or graphic artist anywhere on the planet. This seems to me that this would be the equivalent, the moral equivalent, Bob, of 
print shops back in the 1970s and 80s and, and early 90s arguing that we need to control the number of desktop printers. We need to put a cap on this because it's going to threaten the livelihood of um, graphic artists and typesetters and lithographers all over the country. And as ludicrous as that sounds, this almost seems to be in the same spirit. Exactly. You know, you're very perceptive. That's exactly what's going on. And in a nutshell, just so your audience appreciates the utter insanity, the utter insanity, if not bad faith and simply bad government of New York City. New York City has a horrendous, not a traffic problem, a transportation problem. The subways are terrible unusable and overly expensive because the unions are paid so much money and maintenance is deferred. So we have a crisis, transportation, and as a result of mass transit being garbage, people have to get from point A to point B. Well, if you take mass transit off as an option, which New York City does by mismanagement, what choice do you have? The choice is walk, horseback riding, or a taxi, or a car. So New York City first mismanages the subway system, forcing people into cars, and then creates a traffic problem, and then their solution is, let's make it even harder for people to get around by making Uber more scarce than it is now. So we'll really stick it to our voters and blame it on Uber. How perfect is that? That is an example of government punishing its constituency to benefit a few people who own medallions. Now, some people might be thinking, well, guys, you're talking about things that are going on 3,200 miles away from here. How does this involve or affect Californians? Well, let me answer that question. We live in a state that is overly eager to pass laws, many of which do a great disservice toward free trade. It is not unusual to see uh, the California state legislature seemingly up all night long thinking of ways that they can pass rules and regulations to stifle trade in our state. And given our own transportation challenges, I mean, BART is probably better than the New York subway system in many regards, and yet BART has been riddled with problems. BART is dealing with issues of violence, and BART is dealing with people that cheat on fares and and all of this. And so you have to wonder uh, if people feel as if that is not an option and they either don't own a car or choose not to own an automobile and would like to be able to utilize um, a ride-sharing program, how soon before we begin to see regulations put into place here in our own state that would stifle the ability to make choices? And at the end of the day, this is about making choices that make sense for you as the consumer. And yes, it does have that degree of, uh, you know, may the strongest survive. But listen, uh, the methodology upon which free trade and capitalism has turned has always been on whoever provides the best and cheapest and most reasonable service comes out on top. We're visiting today with syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek. Bob, by the way, has got a new book out. 
We've talked about this. His book is called Secret Sauce, The Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy. You'll get more information about the book. Also details regarding Bob's syndicated program, a list of, um, of course, all of his podcasts and previous guests available by simply going to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. We're going to get back to more of our conversation with Bob Zadek. going to wrap up this topic in a bit. And then I want to come forward circle to uh, two of the the louder voices in relationship to what seems to be uh, promoting this um, steady push by some towards socialism and why it's potentially dangerous in an attempt to sort of remake capitalism with all the confines of socialism around it. Find out what all that means as our conversation with talk show host Bob Zadek continues after this. 534 on the clock. Let's swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center to get you an update right now. The latest as we say hello to Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We continue our visit with best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show. If you're looking for a good, solid, intelligent alternative to much of the mindless patter that goes on Sunday mornings and most of the talking head programs on TV, then this is a great alternative. Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., broadcast throughout the West Coast and here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m., The Answer, The Bob Zadek Show Information, again, available on the web at bobzadek.com. That's bobzadek.com. We've been talking about this attempt by New York City to essentially come in and stifle trade, put the brakes on ride-sharing services. And, of course, most of this seems to be born not out of necessity, not because this has somehow uh, become a wild jungle of uh, ride-share automobiles out there, uh, but almost seemingly an attempt to lock out the competition. And there's no doubt that pressure is being felt by taxi drivers. I mean, the show of hands. How many would rather take a taxi cab to the San Francisco airport versus Uber or Lyft. Okay, I see those hands. You can put them down. Um, The problem, of course, here is that capping the number of vehicles is not going to fix the problem. It's going to exacerbate the problem. And sadly, Bob Zedek, instead of looking at this and saying, well, gee, how come is it that folks are not using more public transportation? Why are people not attracted to using traditional taxi cabs as much? And instead of learning from that, it seems as if there's more of an attempt here by New York City and uh, no doubt uh, may de Blasio to sort of uh, use these draconian measures to come along and say we need to have studies done, we need to put caps on rideshare vehicles and establish where they can and can't drop passengers off, thinking somehow that this is going to fix a problem that only exists in their own minds. You know, Craig, you're exactly right in your observations, and I wanted to just uh, help your listeners, our listeners, understand the core issue, because it is so common in our state, in New York State, and other progressive states. We first of all start with a government-created problem. Government-created problem. Well, when was the last time you ever heard any elected official saying they did a bad job? Never, of course. So now we have a problem. Too much traffic, subways are terrible, whatever the problem is, not enough housing that are cheap price. So the only option, if you're an elected official, since you have highly developed instincts for self-preservation, is blame it on somebody else. And the always most tempting, most 
other most popular target is business. So let's blame our traffic problems, which predated Uber by a hundred years. Let's blame our traffic problems on Uber. Let's demonize them, and then we get we are the heroes because we are now fixing it by controlling the problem maker Uber. So you'll see it when there's no apartments, you blame it on greedy landlords. When there's no transportation, you blame it on companies which are trying to solve the problem. Uber is trying to get you from point A to point B at a price you are willing to pay or you wouldn't get into the car. So Uber is trying to solve the problem, and yet they get accused of being the cause of the problem. It's so perverse, but it's the way government operates. And as you've pointed out, this is not the first ray, foray that New York City has taken into uh, this potentially dangerous territory. And I suppose at the end of the day, um, New Yorkers are, are going to give serious pushback on this. I mean, given the liberty that New Yorkers are now enjoying by being able to participate in rideshare uh, services like Lyft or Uber. And let me say, you know what? I've been on maybe three or four Uber drives. I've never been in a Lyft car myself. I have no dog in this fight whatsoever. But yet it seems to me, given what a nightmare it is to get around a place like New York City and why so many New Yorkers choose not to even own their own vehicles, that instead of doing everything they can to learn from Uber and Lyft and improve public transportation and for the taxi cab services to say, hey, maybe we need to think about, uh, you know, the rates that we charge things of this sort, they're taking just the absolute opposite uh, approach to this. And, And wouldn't you imagine there's going to be pain eventually at the ballot box because of this? No, because uh, the only people who vote in New York City are extreme progressives, and they don't, they buy into the party line. And this is a perfect, now, just to show you how absurd the, quote, solution is, the way New York City solves a shortage of transportation is to do what? Increase the shortage. They are increasing the shortage of transportation alternatives as a way to solve the transportation problem. If that strikes you as being a little strange, welcome to progressive government. It's a frightening thought, but uh, yet uh, here we find ourselves. Now, speaking of progressive government, there's another topic that I want to touch on. Um, We know that there's been a great deal of brouhaha in the campaign by Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Uh, Clearly, uh, part of her appeal is her youth. She's Hispanic. She's well-spoken. And she is able to come out and essentially sort of remake the socialist message. And I think that's what's helping to resonate with some folks and and certainly appealing to the disenfranchised. But now we've got even some folks that are a little bit more of the, um, uh, I don't know what we want to call, of the establishment here, such as Elizabeth Warren, who's now suggesting we need to create new rules and restrictions. We want to be able to essentially craft an arena, an environment, where um, instead of encouraging success of companies and further growth, that we want to discourage that by, in every regard that we possibly can, uh, forcing businesses to sort of fit into this very uh, uber-progressive mold. Give us some insights, if you would, in terms of this proposal that is being called the, and I love the title, the Accountable Capitalism Act. What's this all about, Bob? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, 
Elizabeth Warren is going to give fascism a bad name. <laughs> um, that's, so all the fascists in America will hate her. Now, Elizabeth uh, Warren, just like uh, Anastasio Cortez, uh, they and Bernie Sanders, they use the label of socialism, but they are by no means socialists. They are fascists in the pure sense of the word. A fascist government is a government that is built on the model where businesses are still privately owned, but they are run by government. Government runs the businesses, controls every aspect of them, although they're privately owned. In socialism, the means of production are owned by government. But socialism, nobody favors socialism. Even born-again socialists don't like socialism. But they all like fascism. Now, here's what Here's what those progressives have learned. They have learned that owning the means of production doing the, does not work. Russia, China, Venezuela has shown us that. So that's a failed model. But it is relatively easy, if you want to have total control, to have top-down control of certain means of production. And if you control these means of production, you control everything. The means of production are banks and big companies. Just think of it. If you can control only the big companies with one statute, and if you could control the banks, Dodd-Frank, you don't have to do anything else. You're done. You control everything. And Elizabeth Warren, being well-schooled in that government philosophy, let's just get governmental control, we don't have to own them. Her proposal is for every corporation with a billion dollars in revenue. Now, even the choice of the word revenue is insane, because the company revenue is gross income. A company can have revenue of a billion, and they could have losses of two billion. So they're hardly big. They're about to fail. But she doesn't know the difference. So companies with revenues over a billion dollars have to get a federal charter. A charter is a license. You cannot do business without a charter. Right now, charters are issued by the states. And you apply to a state, and they give you a charter as long as you pass minimum tests. No control. Minimum tests. She wants to say billion-dollar-plus in revenue corporations have to get a federal charter for the first time in American history, not state charter. Now, what will the federal, federal charter say? It will say things like, hold on to your hat, folks, that... 40% of the members of the board of directors have to represent the workers. Even though the workers have no stake in it, it's the stockholders' money, but the workers get to control 40%. More importantly, Elizabeth Warren's charter will require that a government be, that a, a company be operated for the benefit of all of the, look out, stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders? The public, the environment, the neighborhood, the country, the city, in other words, everybody. So a, a, country, a, a company cannot simply operate to maximize the return to shareholders so shareholders will entrust them with more capital and the company will grow. You have to operate the company for the benefit of all the stakeholders. Craig, there is no human on earth who can balance all of those interests and not get sued because they did it wrong. But that's the world, according to Elizabeth Warren. 
it will what will happen will be corporations will no longer be formed here they will leave the country they will create charters in other countries they go to estonia they'll sell their goods here but have their charter in estonia there will be capital flight capital will not come here anymore we will not be the the world's greatest attractor of capitalism we will become just an empty shell when it comes to large corporate governance. It is the scariest thing one can imagine. It is top-down. She wants to have elected officials, staffers in Congress, government bureaucrats, and, yes, the Senate run American business. How's that, Sergeant? Well, and and the, the frightening disconnect here, and we've talked about this in previous conversations, Bob, the frightening disconnect here is when you have career politicians who have virtually little, if any, experience in the free marketplace. In other words, all they know is the beltway and politics and nothing more. Uh, they, They suddenly begin to make suggestions and even pass legislation that is completely disconnected from reality. I mean, when, when you suggest, as this particular piece of legislation would, that every quote-unquote stakeholder gets to have a voice in all of this. Well, let's talk about who the stakeholders are. It's not just the shareholders. It's not just the board of directors. It's not just the employees. That would include also the vendors, maybe the person who rents the property if they're renting from a landlord, leasing a building. Building, maybe the neighbors who were impacted, maybe somebody that is the competition that says, well, gee, I'm a stakeholder. I'm I'm uh, impacted by the decisions that this company makes, and therefore that makes me a stakeholder as well. The list could go on and on and on. And sadly, not everybody is on the same side of the table. Not every decision that's good on behalf of the company is necessarily going to benefit the vendors, the customers, the employees. And so at the end of the day, with all of these not compelling but competing interests, you would end up bringing commerce to an absolute grinding halt if you tried to literally run the day-to-day affairs of any company or corporation by, you know, mob rule here. Hey, let's get a show of hands. How many employees think we should put in a 40-hour work week? If you did that in most places, they'd say, no, we don't want that. We want to get paid the same rate of money but only work 20 hours a week. This is absolutely ludicrous as to how deep the disconnect is from reality here. Bob. And Craig, one of our, I know I can speak for you when I say this, one of our core beliefs, and I'm sure the belief of most of our listeners out there, is that account the principle of accountability. People are accountable for their actions. They owe a duty to their family, their church. They owe a duty to society to some degree. But everybody has and every active, every organization has a responsibility. The police, their duty is to maintain public order. The education system, to teach. The health system, to make you well. Once you start saying, okay, health system, you're responsible for law and order. And police, you're responsible for education. Just imagine they would do none of those jobs especially well, because we need to have specialized responsibility. Right now, the board of directors and the management of a corporation know they have a job. Their job is to take shareholder money, which they are fiduciaries, invest it wisely so the shareholders get a return. That's their duty. And if they do a bad job, the marketplace will vote them out of office. Once you say 
You have a job to keep the environment clean. You have a job to help third world countries. How could a manager know if he's discharging his job right? To whom does he owe loyalty? And then his loyalty to shareholders gets diluted because he owes loyalty not only to shareholders, but to everybody else. Imagine if all of us had the job of doing what's best for everybody on earth, not to benefit your spouse, not to benefit your kids or your church. You have to, everything you do has to benefit everybody the same. Try to live your life that way. That's what Elizabeth Warren wants to impose upon senior management of large corporations. Well, and you know, the the, the irony is, uh, and I'll speak for myself here, having been involved in corporate America for almost all of my adult life, having held managerial positions for almost all of my adult life, I will tell you that from time to time there are decisions that you have to make as a manager that is for the greater good of the shareholders, the accountability that you, in this case, as a publicly traded company, we have to shareholders, and that oftentimes, even as you're making decisions that are for the long-term growth and benefit of the company, it's not always going to be seen or perceived that way by employees or sometimes even by customers. Well, why are you doing this? Well, there's a bigger picture here that you're not aware of, and you, you can't run a successful business, and I think any entrepreneur will tell you, you can't run a successful business uh, by committee. Yes, you can take input. Yes, there can be many voices and many people that help become a part of the decision-making process. But at the end of the day, somebody needs to outline what's the vision, what are we trying to do here, what is going to get us from point A to point B successfully. And if every single individual along that way and in that process all wants to have an equal voice with equal power, I'm going to tell you that that corporation, that company, will go absolutely nowhere. It will be mired down in the middle of conflicting interests, conflicting opinions. And as you suggested at the get-go, Bob, all this would spell is absolutely complete disaster for the environment of of cor- corporate America here, and you know we talk about California trying to drive business out of the state. Imagine now, just after we've passed regulations that would change even the way we handle the corporate tax rate to make us more competitive with other countries. You want to see corporate flight out of the continental United States? This would be the key. And Craig, I'll sum it up. At least my part of it. Uh, don't you like the idea? that Amazon, one of the biggest companies on the planet, and Apple and all the other very large companies only exist for one purpose, to give you a product you absolutely want at a price you are willing to pay. There are millions of very smart senior executives spending late hours trying to figure out how to satisfy our needs at a price we are willing to pay. That gives me goosebumps. I don't want them to be focused on the environment in East Africa. I want them to be focusing on the one thing they're assigned to do. And when they make money for me and I get my dividends, I can use my money to support those charities that I wish to do. I don't want a corporation supporting charities that they want. I want my money back to me, and I will be happy to give it away, but the people that I want to give it to. I don't want to be forced to support organizations 
that I have no interest in. After all, I'm a shareholder, and that's my money. I will give it away the way I want. Well put, Bob. And, uh, you know, this certainly ought to be a huge wake-up call uh, to all of us. I know that uh, off and on there have been interests by those in the Democrat Party. I think Elizabeth Warren seems to be uh, intelligent and well-spoken. Well, huh, I don't think that she's completely thought through all of her ideas, or if she has, that spells for even bigger disastrous scenario, because to push this kind of an idea forward, as she has in this recent uh, uh, article that she wrote for the Wall Street Journal and suggests that we essentially completely reinvent the rules of engagement for capitalism in this country and uh, move all of the decision-making authority uh, not from um, corporate executives and the board of directors and um, those in uh, decision-making and supervisory positions, but rather, hey, let's just all come together, we'll all decide together, all put put everybody at the same plane, all on the same um, uh, level here, same playing field equally. Uh, you know that's coming from somebody who either doesn't have a clue as to how business works or does have a clue and wishes to simply destroy it. Our thanks to best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek and Bob's program, of course. We invite you to tune in. Check it out Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And, of course, the broadcast is heard here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area and Northern California on 860 AM, The Answer. You can check out more about Bob's um, uh, guests as well as get a complete list of all of the podcasts and topics uh, that he is discussing on the program by checking out his website, BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. While there, I invite you to also check out Bob's latest book. It's called Secret Sauce, the Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy. It's a page-turner, very engaging, and uh, one I would recommend to you. So check that out. Secret Sauce, the Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy. You can get it through the usual suspects, through Amazon.com, or uh, directly through Bob's website at BobZadek.com. B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. With our thanks to Bob Zadek, it is 6 o'clock exactly, so let's say our thanks to Michael Bennett. Got a look at your ride home on this Wednesday. Michael, what's going on out there? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.